This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Up until that point, I think I was just like, this is horrible. I want out. I don't want this. I wasn't even popping out to breastfeed. He was in the store with me in the carrier and if he needed to eat something, I just pulled him out and fed him. Joshua was also writing, he was finishing post-production for his record. So there were a lot of really late nights and he was playing gigs. And then my husband got diagnosed with cancer. A miscarriage is really hard and I wish that I'd had the opportunity to properly grieve it. The one day I didn't work was my DNC. You should do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. Do the really, the thing that everyone says that you shouldn't do, just give it a go. Vomiting 30 times a day while trying to run a shop. No parental leave after the birth of her son, Remy. Owning a retail business in Melbourne during a pandemic. Navigating her husband's cancer diagnosis and the treatment that followed. And then, after falling pregnant with the baby that the doctors said would be nearly impossible to conceive without assistance, a pregnancy loss. Motherhood and career for Think Thornbury owner Maggie May Moshe has not been linear. Here, she walks us through it all, from navigating managing the shop alongside hyperemesis in pregnancy and later a four-month-old while her husband was on tour, to how they adapted during lockdowns, a cancer diagnosis and a pregnancy loss. We laugh, we cry, and we could have talked for hours. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the warm and wonderful Maggie May Moshe. Maggie May, thank you for being here. Before we hear about your story, could you please introduce us to yourself and your family? Hi, I'm Maggie May. Uh, my husband is Joshua Mosher and my son is four and his name is Remy. What did your career look like before Think Thornbury came to be? I think I always wanted to have a creative career, I think. Uh, I remember being at like the careers counsellor's office in year 12 and she was going through the list of all of the things that I'd applied for and she's like, mm, these are all very difficult courses to get into like um, design wise. And I was like, yeah, but this is what I want to do. And she's like, well, let's put some TAFE down there as well just so you have a backup. Nothing against TAFE. TAFE is excellent. But um, it, yeah, I don't think, I don't think people will, thought that it was a sustainable career choice or something that was something I could even do. So I think that was pretty um, pretty indicative of how I was treated at high school that, you know, everyone loves creativity but they didn't see it as a career, mm. um, whereas I always really wanted to have a creative career. Um, and I did get into the courses. I got into Stuff everything I applied for, <laughs> which is so, oh gosh, it was so vindicating because I was like, yeah, look at that, yeah. except the one course that I really wanted to get into, which was um, communication design, I didn't get into, so, which kind of delighted my mother at the time because she, she was like, yes, you can do industrial design. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do industrial design. I was a very obedient 18-year-old. Um, um, so I did a year of that and absolutely hated it, um, and really struggled, um, cause I had a kind of a newfound independence going to university that I hadn't had in high school. And then at the end of the year, I just went, I'm not doing this and completely left. I didn't defer or anything. Um, I just left the course and went, stuff it, I'll, um, I'll get into something else later. And I went and lived in the UK for a year mm. just because I really wanted an adventure and I wanted an escape and and that seemed like a really good opportunity to do that. So I went and did some travelling for a year, um, fell in love, got my heart broken, had a really great time. 
<laughs> um, did all the things I think you're supposed to do when you're um, nannying overseas um, and came back. And then I uh, worked for a year and then I reapplied for uni and I got into interior design at Swinburne, which is what I really wanted to be doing at the time. And then they structured it so you could do interior design and communication design aspects. So I've got a joint degree in that. And whilst I was at uni, I supported myself by working in retail and hospitality jobs and also nannying, which is really funny. I was making the list of all the things that I did this morning. I was like, ah, oh, I kind of like, I have a creative career in retail and I have a child now. And it seems like <laughs> all of those things kind of messed Led you to this. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it was a kind of, it was a great time being at uni um, and then I got my first job out of uni as a design coordinator for an interior design studio, which was really valuable experience in an industry that I then decided I didn't want to work in. That <laughs> um, was really great. It taught me, like uni and that first job taught me a lot about what I did and didn't want to do as a creative career and that maybe working a nine to five in that kind of a job wasn't something that I really wanted to be doing, um, which it definitely felt like the right decision, but it just didn't work for me. I mm. don't, I didn't thrive um, taking instructions from others, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um so then I worked in a CD printing place, which was really cool. I got to do a lot of fun salesy things in there. And um, I also, then I worked at a really great t-shirt printing place uh, called it. Das. Yeah, it was really, they were, they were two really good jobs that had a strong kind of sales element and a creative element. And it gave me enough of a break to be in my twenties and just kind of figure out what it was I wanted to do. And I realized that was actually fine art. I wanted to be an artist. I didn't want to be a designer. Um, and uh, I started teaching myself macrame, which is a textile art that uses knots instead of uh, crochet hooks or knitting needles. And through that have created my own artistic practice, which I really love. But I was teaching workshops and they just overtook the entire house. So, yeah, and I think that kind of leads us it. in. Yeah, that leads us to starting Think Thornbury. Amazing. And so when did Think Thornbury come to be? And can you tell us what it was like to open a small business? I imagine it's much greater than most people think. Yeah, it was really stupid. <laughs> like I, I look like we've had the store for six years now and looking back, we had an idea of what we were doing, but we really had no idea what we were doing and we figured it out on the job. So the macrame workshops were going really well. I was selling them out every weekend and I found it incredibly fulfilling and I loved building that community and having a creative career. And um, I was also doing, uh, I was working at the t-shirt printing place at the same time. And I had this conversation with my boss one day and I was like, what happens if I have a baby? And he was like, oh, well, you can bring the baby to work. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that will be and fine. Then, yeah, that will be fine. And um, <laughs> he was like, Maggie, you just need to make Das Automat your dream. And, like, we had a, like, it, and I could have. I could have stayed there quite happily. And I, I loved working for um, John and Ed. They were great bosses and they really helped me develop the confidence to start Think Thornbury. So without having had that job, I would never have mm. started Think or been teaching the classes. So I was really lucky to have that job. Um, we were looking for a, like a studio or a workshop space for me 
to teach the classes out of because it was just um, unsustainable doing it at home. <laughs> I was quickly eroding one of my closest friendships with my housemate and best friend <laughs> at the time um, and with Joshua, my husband. Um, so he was like, I think we need to find you a studio space. Like you've got enough of a, of a base to do this. So, um, we were then, the timing was just really perfect. There was this, uh, the shop became available and Josh came and had a look through the property one day when I was at work and was like, it's amazing. There's a shop downstairs. There's a workshop space upstairs. And there's actually like a little self-contained unit at the back and we could live there. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it felt like, yeah, we were just supposed to do it. Mm. And it was, yeah, it was really stupid. Um, We, (laughs) I don't know. I like, we laugh about it, but we, we had no idea what we were doing. We took on a huge commitment and we just went, let's just try Mm. it for two years and see if we can make it work. Because mm. I had a lot of retail experience and I think we both thought we'd just figure it out as we went along. Yeah. And what did those first two years look like? Uh, they were really full on. So we, we got married, uh, I think, in the first year. <laughs> and then in the second year, we had a baby. <laughs> wow. That is a lot. So how did talks yeah. of parenthood and making a family start when you were probably just about a year into this business yeah we well Joshua and I met um at uh he was 19 when we met and I'm three years older um and we kind of were really good friends straight away and then um we saw each other again at a festival and we went home with each other at that festival and we're just like, yeah, cool. I'm going to. This is done. Gonna, yeah, you're going to be my person. Well, I didn't think that straight away. I thought, hmm, you will be fun for summer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we spent just every day together and just became best friends and like partners and all things. And the first time we really talked about children was shortly before like our one year anniversary so he was 20 um and I was his sister is the same age as me and she was getting married soon I think and he was like feels like they'll get married and then they'll have a baby when she's 28 and that'll be like the kind of roadmap for her life and actually you're the same age and oh my gosh do you want a baby when you're 28 <laughs> like is that what you're expecting like because mm. I'm three years younger so I'll only be um you know 20 25 or yeah 26 yeah um <laughs> can't count uh don't worry either I was like look yeah <laughs> I was like mm, I I don't know right now. Yes, I definitely want children. Mm. And he was like, well, I don't know if I want children, which is fair enough for a 20-year-old to say. (laughs) And I was like, look, we can't, like, make these decisions based on how we feel right now. And we had this massive argument. (laughs) I I was like, I'm out. I I can't talk about this anymore. I'm going to bed. And he came into the room and was like, I don't want you to be sad with me because I love you (laughs) and maybe we can have a baby one day. And I was like, okay, just (laughs) come to bed. It was really sweet. It was a really nice conversation. But over the years, I think I made it very clear that I really loved him and I really wanted to get married and I wanted to have a baby. And I just, I just had to be patient with that for him to be ready to, and for me to be ready because like, I knew I wanted it, but it wasn't something we were going to do um, earlier. So mm. we got married and I think I was like, okay, actually, yeah, like are we going to have a baby? And he's like, okay, we're going to have a baby. And this was just before the store had its first birthday. And so we went, okay, well, let's just – stop not trying um and I was immediately pregnant 
Wow. What was the shock of that like when you, I guess, were still in the infancy of your business, really? I was really like, oh, my goodness, like this is happening. I'm going to be a mum. I've got this business. I'm really in love with my partner. Oh, my goodness. He's actually on the other side of the world on tour right now because he was in a band. So I had to call him and be like, hey, fun story, but <laughs> sex is real. <laughs> yeah. Remember that thing you did that we did? Yeah. Remember it has resulted have... in pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. And it was really funny because I hadn't been on contraception for two years because it didn't agree with me and I'd been tracking my cycles. And like like I knew my cycle like clockwork and so that week before he went away I was like yeah I'm not ovulating we're all good um and I must have ovulated earlier that Mm -hmm. cycle so Remy was just he picked being here he was you know he was supposed to be here and I Mm -hmm. particularly in 2020 when things were quite full-on I felt very grateful that he had kind of surprised us a little Mm. but and had you know put us in the deep end of parenting but in the best possible way Mm. yeah so what did those early days of motherhood look like for you oh it was so full-on I had an awful pregnancy I I was so incredibly sick um (sighs) I had hyperemesis which is where you vomit like 30 times a day and I had no barometer for what pregnancy was supposed to be like and no close friends um who had gone through it really I was like the first one in our friendship group to have a baby and so Josh got back from tour he'd been away for six weeks and I'd been telling him how unwell I'd been oh wow and he got back and was like nah mate this is not like this is not normal I'm taking you to hospital and we went into the emergency at um, the Mercy and they're like, so how many times are you throwing up a day? And I'm like, oh, like 30. And they're like, oh, you have hyperemesis. This is not normal. Um, and then learning how to manage that whilst running a business and teaching workshops was mm. really full on because I would just, I mean, a part of it was good because I could just lie down behind the counter in the shop. <laughs> And if someone no in, I just yeah, if there was no customers, I would just lie down on the floor. So you were working and, through this time when you were vomiting yeah. thirty times in a day, so more yep. than hourly, and you're yep. just taking rest where you can get it, basically. Yes, yeah, it wow. was. Well, we didn't have an option. I had yeah. the rent to pay, and um, and it just had we just had to find a way to make it work. I had mm. made a beautiful disaster for myself um (laughs) but I really you know I thought that if I worked really hard I could just get through through Mm. um and and we did but I wouldn't recommend it and (laughs) knowing what I know now I would I would be very different with myself yeah. yeah, and so how does hyperemesis actually get managed? Did, was there anything they could give you that actually helped the situation? I think it. I think it's actually much better now. There feels like there's more support now because when I was pregnant recently, um, I was really worried about it being very bad again, and so I started looking out for support to see if it would happen again, and it, it felt like there was more support. So mm. things like going into the hospital and saying, "Look, I'm dehydrated, and I actually I need an IV." They were like, no, you can't have that. Whereas I think some of the advocacy now is around saying, look, these are the places you can go and get the thing that you need if you think, um, uh, and finding doctors and GPs that help you manage it a bit better. But again, I didn't really, um, I didn't know and I didn't really have anyone Mm. helping me. So I just had to rest and it sounded like you were just in survival mode too if Josh was on tour he obviously wasn't there to be in the shop so it sounds like you would have just been falling in a heap at the end of each day on your own yeah I really yeah I really was and yeah so that and we lived in the store so if there was no one in the store I I could you know I could shut at four o'clock if it was really bad um and try and look after myself and 
when once Josh got back, it was much easier because um, he really he really stepped up in terms of taking care of me and like making sure that I was eating small, consistent meals through the day, which I, I think they say that with pregnancy normally, like looking after yourself, um, which I'm very not good at. Um, <laughs> so staying hydrated and just, um, yeah, it wasn't until I think we had the, uh, what is it? It's the first scan where you can really see the baby mm. and up until that point, I think I was just like, this is horrible. I want out. I don't mm. want this. And then I saw Remy and I was like, oh, you're like, you're there. That's mm. you. It's like this... something tangible. It's like, this is what my body is putting me through hell for. Yeah. I was like, I'm mm. growing the person. He's mm. there or they're there. Um, and so I felt, yeah, it felt more productive, I guess. Mm. I was like, okay, this is, this is something that I can get through. And did it yeah. last all pregnancy for you or was there a point where it actually dropped off? It lasted all pregnancy. It wasn't like 30 spews a day all pregnancy. I think it got down to maybe a more manageable 10. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is so fun. Oh. From someone that didn't spew, I'm sorry to say, but far out, that's a lot. Yeah, I'm sorry if anyone's listening to this and I'm talking about vomiting a lot, but it really, um, I had the what was it called? The, the gestational diabetes test. Yes. And because you have to fast with that one, I think I'd gotten to a really good, like my body was managing things much better. And then I had to fast for the test and take the horrible drinks and do all of that. And it was a really awful morning. Mm -hmm. And that just like sent me straight back into very bad town for a couple of weeks. And then it mm -hmm. kind of we, we got it back on an even keel, which was horrible because they wanted me to take that test again. And I was like, under no circumstances no. am I doing that. Oh, that was um, bad enough as someone that had a relatively unsick pregnancy. I mean, I felt sick for the first 13 weeks, but it wasn't terrible. So for someone mm, that actually had hyperemesis, I cannot imagine going through that disgusting yeah, with the fasting. It was, it was really awful. Oh. Um, yeah. And so... Then Remy eventually enters the world, but I guess yep. you and your husband own a small business together. What does parental mm. leave look like in that situation and how did you plan for that? There was no parental leave. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was just no parental leave. I think I looked at the questions when you sent them through and I laughed out loud because I was like, <laughs> oh, and, and I've been listening to the podcast and, and I'm like, I what was I think like what did I do and put myself through I just I went into labor at 41 plus two which I looked that up this morning um and uh and we were actually booked in to have a photo shoot that day in the store because we had this great opportunity come up with Frankie magazine was like hey we want to yeah we want to put you on this thing and I was like sweet do it let's do it like, I definitely won't shoot. be in labor then I was like, I might be in labor, but I'm also like this baby just does not want to leave. And I'd been mm. one centimeter dilated for like three weeks and mm. had been going for induction massages and trying everything to get him out. And he was just like, no, I'm very comfortable in here. You've made a nice home for me. Yeah. I'm I know this is terrible for you, but this is great for me. <laughs> yeah. He, he was very content in there. Um, and so we were getting ready for the, because I was having constructions start every morning and then they would just peter out. And I was like, oh, it was really, it was, it that was must mentally be a mind quite, game. Yeah, it was mentally very fatiguing. And I was trying so hard to try and not think about work, but I also lived at work. And I think at one point, Josh was like, okay, that's it. I got the shop. You go lie down and just think about having a baby. And that stressed me out so much. I was like, nope, I can't. I think I tried for like two days and then I was back in the store and I was like, you know what? Wrapping presents makes me feel good. Mm. So I'm just going to do that. Also, I should mention that when I was 36 or 37 weeks pre pregnant, we recorded Josh's debut album 
So we're in the record studio and just being like, you stay in there, do not come out. Like we finished at about 38 weeks. You love to do things all at once, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, we just, we had a really good opportunity to record the album with a really great um, producer and recording engineer, our friend Lewis, and he was going to the UK and we were just like, we have to do it now. Yeah. And Josh was like, can I do it? Should I do it? And I was like, yes, do it. Do it now before this baby comes out of me. And yeah, so it was quite busy. We were doing Mm -hmm. a lot of things at that time and so on the morning I went into labor uh which was 41 plus two Remy uh yeah he was just like cool you're not doing the photo shoot today (laughs) (laughs) and I got up early to like do my hair and Josh walked in and I was blow drying my abdomen (laughs) he's like he's like they're not stopping are they I'm like no no, I don't think they are. And he's like, we're not doing a photo shoot today. You're having a baby. Um, and things started going really well with the birth. And then they went very badly, very quickly. Mm. Um, and I ended up having to have an emergency C-section, which was really like not how I had wanted it to go. And that was quite confronting. Um, mm. But. I I remember also just being in theatre and being like, this is, you know, you just have to breathe and get through this Mm. and your baby will be here really soon and you'll piece yourself back together. And then he was there and he was just like perfect from the moment he came out of me. And, uh, And I was not. I went straight into recovery and was so incredibly unwell. And we were in hospital for three days. And then we came back to work and then we rescheduled. So he was born on the 15th and we rescheduled the photo shoot for the 26th. Oh, wow. And you actually did the photo shoot on the 26th? Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, wow. Were you that mother business owner that popping out to breastfeed and then otherwise baby sort of sleeping on the counter and you're working in the shop or how did that work? Oh, I I wasn't even popping out to breastfeed. He was in the store with me in the carrier and if he needed to eat something, I just pulled him out and fed him. And so how did that go with the C-section recovery? Obviously they tell you not to do much and not to do much lifting. I'm thinking you didn't listen to those rules. <laughs> no, I, I I, did not listen to those rules. Um, I mean, I didn't drive and I didn't... I didn't push myself to the extremes that I would normally do. So I wasn't doing any heavy lifting and I wasn't, um, and Joshua was around. So it wasn't like, because we worked together, Mm. um, he was actually teaching at a school a couple of days a week at that time. So there were some days where he wasn't there and there were some (sighs) days where he was. So we just made it work. But Remy was actually just the most perfect newborn. He really lulled me into a false sense of security Parenting is easy. Oh, I was like, this is fine. I'm very tired, but this is fine. Mm. Um, Joshua was also writing. He was finishing post-production for his record. So there were a lot of really late nights and he was playing gigs. Uh, Remy went to his first gig when he was, I wrote it down. It was the 28th. He went to his first gig on the 28th of March and he was born on the 15th of March. He was a really great newborn. We were really, Mm. really lucky. And then Josh had to go on tour to the UK and the south of France again and through (laughs) Europe. When was he leaving for that? Um, Remy was four months old the day he left. And I was like, this will be fine. I'll be fine. And I was not fine. It was, I remember a friend of mine being like, I would not let my husband leave to go on tour when I had a baby. And I was like, well, I don't really have an option. Mm. And Joshua got back and I was like, you are never, ever leaving ever again. Mm. It was Remy went from the perfect newborn to four months sleep regression where he was waking hourly. And he also started getting eczema, which is thanks to my brilliant genetics, I'm pretty sure. Um, so my fault, sorry. Um, so he, yeah, he's, he broke out and I was trying all the things to try and fix it and I had just not, abs- yeah, it was there was not a lot of support there. 
and my friends were really doing the best that they could without any kind of, again, I was the first one to have a baby. Mm. So they were sort of like, I can hold it for a second whilst you go to the bathroom, but none of us knew what we were doing. So it was, it was very hard. And, and so you're working full-time in the shop, even this period at four months postpartum, you had a pretty full on birth. Joshua's overseas, you're dealing with waking every hour and then you're just in the shop each day. Yeah, and then I also started teaching workshops again. (laughs) (laughs) So the only time I didn't have my baby was when I was teaching a workshop and bless her, my friend Rachel actually, um, she looked after Remy during those workshops, which was really great. And she'd have to bring him up sort of because the class went for three hours. Often he'd need to feed during the mm. class. So he'd, I'd, I'd say at the start of the class, I was like, I have a newborn. Is everyone okay with me feeding him? And no, everyone was like, he's amazing. We loved him. And I, so it was always fine. But I, yeah, I'd feed him during the class and still be helping yeah. students, which I actually figured out how to hold him and still be able to use my hands so I could breastfeed and still be tying a knot at the same time, which felt kind of like a magic trick, but I think was just testament to the fact that I I couldn't not do what I was doing and I just had to to do the things at the same time. Wow. I found in my postpartum that I was almost more tired at about six months postpartum than I was in those newborn days. I don't know if it's the adrenaline or the expectation of like, I just thought baby slept after six months through the night. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it was. Did you notice that? Like, was there a crash and burn later for you? Or did you just sort of have to keep going basically until COVID shut your shop, which we'll get to soon? Yeah, it was so hard. We really, we kind of only just managed. um, And I've had very bad mental health issues in my life as well so anxiety and depression I felt like I was getting really wobbly and Mm. um went to the GP and asked for some support and ended up going back on an antidepressant and it just didn't work for me and I think it actually made it feel worse but we did we got some support from we had been seeing a a family counsellor from when we were getting married because we had um, not so much with Joshua and I but with our external family some very um, full-on things happening and so we wanted some support around having conversations with them about boundary setting and so I had her to talk to and get support from but it was it was really yeah we were just we were surviving Mm. that first year yeah wow that is Quite an incredible story. You've done very well just to get to this point. So then we fast forward a year, I think. Remy's pretty much won as COVID starts to become a thing. Can you tell us a bit about that time? Obviously, retail was so hard hit because for most of that Mm. year, your shop would have been shut. Yes, it's definitely that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it was, which is also, I'm not advocating for that kind of like if don't put yourself in this kind of situation, which is when I, going back to the start where I said it was stupid, I don't mean we were stupid, but I think maybe we were incredibly naive about doing all of the things and just thinking we could figure it out because when 2020 hit, Mm -hmm. um, we had no online store built yet because it was always something like, we're going to do it, but it's not a priority. And then we had a small baby and then the pandemic. Josh actually arrived back into the country. He was in New Zealand doing a tour. Um, He arrived back the day that they shut the borders. And I was sitting. sitting I'm glad he got in. I I was sitting at home being like, you get on that plane. You don't, I don't care if other people are late on a tour bus or anything, you get on that plane. Mm. And I'm actually going to be angry at you if you don't make it. It's not, not yeah. the government. This is your fault. It's not the, go- <laughs> yeah, it's not the government. It's not this, like, corona thing. Um, uh, and he got back and we, there was a moment where we were like, okay, we can, we can tap out or we can build a web store and we can support our community. And I was also very burnt out because we'd just done this enormous fundraiser for the bushfires. Yeah, we raised almost $20,000 in a weekend to, and again, I would do it very differently. We didn't have Stripe payment processing set up. So I had to 
manually do all the payments after it, which was incredibly time consuming. And I was really at the end of my tether with it. And we kind of finished it up and then COVID started. And Josh was like, should we, should we keep going? Should we do this? And I was like, yes, we can do it. So we built the web store and we had it open for Mother's Day in May. And we were like, people were calling and putting it through over the phone. And um, we were just trying whatever we could to, to keep sales coming in. And we were doing free local delivery, which I thought was really important because we needed to, you know, there needed to be some joy in people's lives. And I thought if people aren't getting birthday presents or they're not able to get a card from their friend mm. and they're stuck in their houses, I, I saw our business as something really vital for the community. Mm. And that was, that was our job. And we'd said that we were a community focused business and this was the challenge that we needed to live up to. And then my husband got diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> so he'd been really unwell for like a year and he'd been just to... like immune system beat unwell, like a bit of a mystery. He was itchy, just completely all over. And the doctors wow. kept saying it was eczema or that he was tired from being a new parent. Um, I think a lot of people went, you're a musician. Are you sure you're not taking drugs? Wow. He had a, they like did a, like one GP ordered a tuberculosis um, test and they were like, and, and we finally ended up finding a GP and an immunologist who were like, this is not normal. This has been going on for a really long time. And you've really like, you've tried everything to figure mm. out what it is and nothing's working has anyone ever scanned you or done a biopsy josh was like no and by that oh, point yeah. when he yeah they he had the scan and the immunologist was like we're gonna do a biopsy on this thing that's in your chest and he went to have the biopsy and the guy doing it the doctor doing it sorry the guy um the doctor doing it went we're gonna take a biopsy um and sometimes like we have to say we might miss it, but actually yours is so big, we won't miss it, so it's fine. And I was in the car park and Josh is just like, I'm feeling quite scared. Yeah, that was, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We won't miss it. Wow. We won't miss it. It's huge. Um, and then he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, my God. Um, which was incredibly difficult. Um, so this yeah. is about six months into the pandemic. Yeah. So what did, what did that add? Like, what was the process from there once you got the diagnosis? It, it actually went very quickly. Yeah. He was referred to Peter Mac um, and had a specialist there. And we, we got into the hospital and they were like, cool, so we need to have these conversations with you around fertility as well. Like you need mm. to go and bank some sperm if you ever want to have children again because basically the kind of chemotherapy we're going to give you one of them, there's a 50% chance that you'll be able to regenerate. And the mm -hmm. other one, it was like, if we give this to you, there's not much, like we, maybe, maybe like 99% chance that you will never have children again. Wow. Like, um, Gee, that's a lot to go through in one foul swoop. Yeah. And so we were just like, okay, well, that my priority was not having another baby in that moment. It was if, uh, if you could just live. That would be really, I would really love that um, mm. because you're the love of my life and the father of my child. And mm. um, Oh, my God, I'm about to cry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then Josh started chemo. So we and we were going in and out of lockdowns and and Remy mercifully was in childcare five days a week, mm. which was the one silver lining of the pandemic because and I think a lot of people were really impacted with childcare because they weren't allowed, their children weren't allowed to go. But because the store is retail, we were classed as essential services. So he could go. But also mm. because Josh was having chemotherapy, we had special consideration because of that too. So, mm. so a, a chemo week would be four days of chemo and at the start and that that was a cycle and then and there'd be a, a couple of weeks break and then he'd start another cycle and each cycle the cancer got less which was incredibly wonderful and but he got much sicker so 
even though he was technically classed as in remission and they'd gotten rid of the cancer, which was, mm. I, was I was, yeah, so incredibly grateful. He just, he got worse and worse. And by December, he was just, um, that last, that last round of chemo was really, really mm. hard on him, um, which was very frustrating because the hematologist was like, oh, well, ABVD, which is the chemo he was on, is actually like, most people tolerate this really well. And Josh was like, I am not though. So he was just, he was in bed and we were really lucky to have good support from our friends and from customers and the community. We just, Mm. if we hadn't had that support, we just wouldn't have gotten through that year. And how did work look for you when you're a mother, your husband's going through something huge how on earth did you keep running the shop? Well, we didn't really have an option. <laughs> Just mm. like I had to, I would get up and I, a lot of the time I couldn't sleep. So I'd go down to the store and pack orders in the middle of the night anyway, so that they'd be mm. ready to go out first thing in the morning for free local delivery. One of our friends helped us with that, which was amazing. And, or I would do it with Remy in the car if it was the weekend, um, or after hours because if we said it was next day delivery we really tried to stick to that and it really only ended when it got too dark to do delivery and yeah I just worked really really hard and I didn't stop and we had help from friends picking up Remy from childcare bringing him back and then bedtime bath time would just be around Joshua and and also looking after him and we try and have one person come and help us because again we're because Joshua was so sick and we were allowed to have someone come in and help Mm. to do compassionate care um so sometimes I would have someone be able to like heat up dinner at the same time but I got quite unwell that year myself Mm. just from the amount that I was working so I ended up getting diagnosed with chronic fatigue by the end of the year which I often joke, I'm like, they don't know what causes chronic fatigue, but I have a really good recipe for it. Yeah. <laughs> Far yeah. out. So did that, did you ever yeah. get to rest from that or is it just not a possibility? We had to set some really, really big boundaries in 2021 mm. and we luckily started um, getting more people to help in the store, which was great. And I think because Joshua had had that experience and he was getting a bit better, it, it takes a long time to heal from chemo too. Even mm. when the cancer's gone, the, the chemo recovery, like it just, it wipes out your immune system and and you really have to, like it, it takes, a, I think it took a good two years for him to start feeling particularly normal again. Yeah. He spent a lot of time thinking about the business too and was like, these are the things we need to do in our business. And I also started working with Fiona Kalaki, who is my daily business coach. And she just, she really, she was so incredibly supportive. And without that, we also couldn't have gotten through. So I was listening to her podcast just constantly. (laughs) I'd be wrapping Mm. orders and trying to think of all the ways that we could work on the business and develop and grow. and, And Josh was doing the same. Wow. So Josh eventually, I guess, gets to the end of this more harrowing part of what he's been through. What's his health like now? I believe there was good news at the end of this that he is cancer free. Yeah. They never say that you're cancer free. They'll say that you're in remission because there's also Mm. always a chance that it can come back, which um, every time he has a scan, I think he and I both go through the same scan anxiety of like, could it be back? And every time it's fine. So I really, you know, I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, we've had uh, friends on our cancer journey who weren't so lucky and their cancer has gone and then it, it comes back as something else. And it, So there is that anxiety there, but he's, he's very healthy at the moment. He's doing really well. So I'm very grateful. If that wasn't huge enough, you then yeah. went through a really big time at the end of last year with the pregnancy yeah. loss and I'm actually feeling emotional thinking about all of this, knowing what you'd been through. And you've been really open about this online, which I can't even imagine the amount of people that have told you how helpful you have been to them because mm. it's unfortunately common. Can you tell us about this time in your life, what you're comfortable sharing? Yeah. Well, because of the cancer, 
we were eligible for um, that you can apply for as like help with fertility treatment because of the cancer. So after about from the time we applied to the time we finally were about to start, it was about two years because Remy was one. It was just before the pandemic started. And Mm. after my pregnancy and the birth, I was like, never again. I'm not doing this ever again. I am one and done. And Josh and I were walking through a park and he was like, you know what? I think I've decided I do want to have another baby. (laughs) And I was like, me too. Not right now, in the future. And that was pre-pandemic, pre-cancer, all of these Mm. things. So having another baby was definitely something that we, we had talked about and wanted and then that kind of just got paused because of everything and so when we spoke to our GP and said okay what are our options she was like cool it takes a really long time so let's put your name down for it now and see what happens and then once we finally got to see the doctors at the Royal Women at our very last appointment in last year in I think it was August or July they went so do you guys still want to do IVF Joshua and I in the meeting are like yes we really do we've been you know wanting this for yes mm. yeah and they're like oh well because Joshua's sperm count is within normal range oh wow and and that had gone from like absolute no chance he'd had a test earlier mm. and they were like yeah you guys are this is never going to happen for you without the IVF um and then the, uh six months later he was back within normal range which wow. felt like a, a gift from Hashem like I, I was I was like okay let's do this and our specialist was like okay well let's you know let's see how it goes over the next six months and then we'll touch base and Joshua we walked out of the house and Joshua was like Maggie I need you to like just like breathe it's not going to happen the first month. And I was like, yes, it is. I'm like demanding this from the universe. Um, I deserve this. Yeah, I deserve this. I like, we, I want this new family member for us. And, and I think we, I think we really deserve it after everything Mm. we've been through. And I did a lot of praying on that. And we, we were, yeah, I felt that I was pregnant that month. I was like, and the test kept coming up negative. And Josh was like, okay, just slow down on the test. It hasn't happened. I'm sorry. And I was like, but I feel it. <laughs> and I was late and the test was still showing negative. And I'm, I was like, okay, I'm just going to like chill out on this and wait for my period to come. And my period just didn't come. And then I took one more test and it was positive. <laughs> I ran wow, into the bedroom. I really knew it. And it, yeah. it, I found out on the first day of the Jewish New Year. Oh, wow. It felt like like a new beginnings. It really did. It felt like it felt like a really fresh start. It felt so hopeful and I was so excited and I really wanted that baby. Mm. Um, And um, and everything felt great. And then at the point when the morning sickness had started with Remy, I was feeling very nauseous and I felt very pregnant and then it just stopped. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I still was getting really sore boobs and we were at the GP and I was like, look, is it, is it normal? Cause I hadn't had a scan yet. And I was like, is it normal to not be having any morning sickness by this stage? Cause with Remy, it was really bad. And she's like, you know what? You might just be lucky this time and mm. not be getting the really bad morning sickness. And I remember walking out of the, because my, my pregnancy hormone was going up. Oh. Um, and so they weren't particularly, I don't think she was particularly worried. She was like, we got the 12 yeah. week scan booked in, you know, we'll, we'll just see, we'll like, we'll wait for that. And I was trying to just be very chill and calm about it and not have anxiety about it. And, and then we told everyone we were pregnant. <laughs> um, Mm. And I thought, I think I was just willing it to be okay and everything was fine. And because my levels were going up, I didn't feel like I had to be concerned. We were getting ready for a friend's wedding and I'd had a bit of spotting 
and I said, I told Joshua and he's like, I Googled it. I think it's okay. It's really normal to have spotting. And I had also Googled it and was like, it's totally fine. It's fine to have spotting. And by, I think about 2 PM, we just watched our friends get married. And I went to the bathroom and I was like, no, I'm having a miscarriage. And um, I walked back into the reception and Josh was talking to someone. I was like, Hey, can you just come with me for a second, put your drink down? And he's like, yeah, is everything okay? And I was like, we walked out of the venue and I just kept walking. And I was like, you have to take me to hospital. I'm having a miscarriage. And he was like, everything's going to be fine. I'm like, no. And you just knew. So we waited in emergency for a really long time and we finally got seen. And it was really hard because there was another woman came in having a miscarriage and, and that was really awful. And I felt just, Oh, wow. I actually didn't know that you went to emergency, I must admit, for that. The first time I went to emergency, we waited a really long time and then they they have a, they don't actually have any ultrasounds in emergency. So they took my, my bloods again and they were like, your levels are high, like what we would expect for 11 weeks. Um, but do you want to, we have, we have an ultrasound, but it's not really a great one. And the doctor was like, I'm also not a, great ultrasound technician so we can have a look and see if there's anything there but also don't like we're going to book you in for the um the early care and they'll they'll call you in on monday and they'll do a proper scan and they looked and she's like look i don't i don't know we're just going to have to wait and see and so we were walking out and joshua was like see it's maybe it is okay and they're like just wait in the waiting room for like oh. one minute and then another more senior doctor came out and was like hey can we just we're going to take you around to another bed and she scanned me and said look I'm not seeing what I need to be seeing at 11 weeks and um and I'm, I'm really sorry but you've lost your baby mm. um and they were so kind and so wonderful. Um, mm. And we went home and I don't drink, but I had a glass of wine and some uh, chocolate ice cream and just cried mm. myself to sleep and felt just, it just felt so incredibly unfair and sad. And yeah, after everything you've been through. Um, and that was the end of November. Traditionally, December is very busy mm. in retail. So I had finally, when I, got the call from the hospital on the next Tuesday and they were like, well, you've started bleeding. You're going to have a miscarriage at home and we'll just do expectant management. I think they call it. And, but if you're bleeding more than um, a pad an hour, come back into emergency. Um, And then I started bleeding more than a pad an hour and we had to go back into emergency. And that was very traumatic. Mm, Must be painful too. Like you don't really think about all those little things that that... it was really painful and a friend of mine mentioned to me she's like you've still gone through a birth and this is still postpartum and Mm. and that was really that was very hard so and I couldn't get out of bed for Mm. a week and I'm not a person that doesn't work unless they really physically can't get out of bed and that was very challenging so we, I was trying to do emails at home. We were also trying to manage Remy and Josh was playing gigs because it was a really busy time of the year here as well um, and just manage the store and try and stay on on budget for what we need, what we want, what we were aiming for and what we needed to do. Mm. And then I also just completely stopped doing the Think Thornbury social media and then the following Monday I was like I'm getting up I'm going to work but I bled for six weeks yeah it just wasn't getting better it was just constant and I kept having the blood tests and my levels went down and they got to zero and then I was like I just didn't feel like the hospital was really listening to me so I booked in with my GP and she did a swab 
And that was also awful because she didn't know I'd had the miscarriage. So she came, I came in and she's like, so how's everything going? I'm like, oh gosh, she doesn't know. Oh. And there'd been a mistake in sending, she was previously in another clinic. So they'd sent the records there instead of her new one, which was not great. So I ended up basic, like it, the bleeding wasn't stopping. And I said, I wanted, I want a scan. I want someone to scan me. And I went back in and they said that um, there was still, and I hate this term, um, they said there were still products of conception. So I was like, okay, I want a DNC now. Like, book me in. And that was the 23rd of December that I had that. I think 23rd, 22nd. So you just navigated the madness. Oh, my God. So you just navigated that pre-Christmas yep. madness in retail literally having yeah, a miscarriage I, over I six weeks every day the one day i didn't work was my dnc yeah and how did things go after that i mean not how did things go but i mean how does it play out after you have a dnc do you the, have time well, to it was really recover, funny at the, on the day that i had it they're like do you need a medical certificate i'm like no i have to go to work tomorrow and they're like oh no you're no working tomorrow and i was like so i mentioned this like six weeks ago that I own a small business mm. and that I need to be okay and everyone ignored me and didn't take that seriously and mm. now I'm in the position where I just I don't have the option to not go to work tomorrow but mm. yeah it was like, like if I don't Eve. go to work the store doesn't open because I have you know it's been mm. December we had um we had some staff members working for us as well and they were they did an amazing job but everyone by the end of december was you know this last december in hospitality and retail was also quite difficult for a lot of people i think and some customers who were just not great and i had to be i'm very like i'm a mm. professional in the store i'm really good at making people feel good in my store and even when they're being incredibly rude mm. or whatever. So that was an extra challenge. Yeah, so I just, there, there was no rest. I was like, I've got to get through this. And then on December 25th, we stayed home and we did nothing. We just, just me and Josh and Remy. And, um, and then we're supposed to have a family thing on Boxing Day with my mum's side of the family. And I just messaged and I was like, I'm really sorry, I'm, I can't drive out to Leon Gath, but mm. yeah. So I, and previously I maybe wouldn't have done that. I would have been like, yeah, let's go. It's Christmas. And it was the first Christmas without my grandmother who passed away this year too. So that felt very hard, but I thought there was, there was a small gift in that the last night of Hanukkah was on Christmas day. So that felt like a really beautiful moment in the universe for me. Yeah. Mm, to sort of reflect. So, and then uh, January, we just went straight back into it. We took uh, the store closed for a week um, and then we were back at work. Remy started a new childcare, which is amazing. And um, that was a lot of helping him adjust into that and managing the business and trying to hire some new staff because of just needing to fill out extra shifts and yeah, miscarriage is really hard and I wish that I'd had the opportunity to properly grieve it and I'm kind of, mm. like, I, I'm still, I'm still grieving it. It's. Mm. Have you given yourself, have you been able to have a break at any point yet with this new new staff? And we had uh, four days off recently, which was really lovely mm. and took Remy to the beach and but I did get a message on the first night that we were we were there being like, sorry, I'm sick. I can't open the store on Wednesday. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, I, like, typical. I was like, I am interstate and was just like. Yeah, I actually can't fix I this. I actually can't fix this and had to be like, can like beg one of our staff members to open the store and she did, which was really amazing. But it's just that stress of running your own small business, it doesn't, um, it doesn't change. And then 
there's definitely things I could be doing better. And I love when people are like, oh, have you heard of this thing? You can hire someone to come in and they'll just do the one day. And that's great advice. But it's still, I would still have to spend the time communicating with that person, all of the things that need to happen on that day. So it's not, it's mm. not restful. But mm. we are doing better than we did the first year or the second year or the third year or the fourth year, like going into our sixth year, the store is, I'm really grateful for what we've built and that it, mm. um, it is here and it supports my family. Mm. What advice would you give to especially small business owners going through really challenging things in their personal life? What would you, I guess, tell yourself with hindsight or what would you tell someone else going through something like that? Oh, it fits. It feels too simple, but it's, you know, just be really kind to yourself and cultivating a sense of resilience and knowing how to ask for help is not something that I was born with. And it is like, you know, having to go through all of these things. Like if my business doesn't work, there's no backup. Like, my mm. husband is a jazz musician, which is famously very badly paid. Um, <laughs> like we're, it's, it's so incredibly important to our lives and we, the business has to work to be able to support both of us to feel creatively fulfilled. And that's not to say that Josh's music career is a hobby. It is not a hobby. It is just not remunerated in the same way that an mm. investment banker is. Mm. So that's, you know, can be quite challenging because if we don't yeah if the mm. shop doesn't work if we don't get sales if we don't meet the values and the expectations that we have for ourselves then we can't afford to pay rent and look after our child and have any kind of a of a life so having yeah learning how to develop a sense of resilience and know what's really important to you and maybe knowing when to tap out. And I haven't, I think maybe at the start of the pandemic, that would have been the opportunity to be like, you know what, actually, no, this is not for me and I will find something else. And that would have been really hard. But the business is such now that I don't think I could walk away from it and I just have to find ways of managing. Mm. You've built a community around you there. What has that idea of a village that we talk about a lot in matrescence meant to you with what you've been through with Josh and with your pregnancy loss too? Oh, so important. And just, you know, my um, parents are not as present as maybe other people's parents are. And that's not to say that they don't love me. It's just that my dad is in Tasmania most of the time and, you know, we see him occasionally. And my mother is just not, she's just not there. So having customers drop off food and mm -hmm. be there to talk to me, I never had a mother's group. I never went because I was just in the store. And I, I have been so lucky to have built friendships and this community from behind the counter talking to people about their babies and saying, I have a baby as well and or, what do you do? And just being genuinely curious and interested in other people's lives has given me the opportunity to to build that amazing friendships with people that is mm -hmm. genuine which is you know we support them and they've supported us it's really we've been so incredibly lucky mm. so I'm really I'm really really grateful for everything that Think Thornbury has given me and I often say that having a baby was the best and worst decision of my life. And Think Thornbury is very similar. It's been the best and worst thing in, mm. but net positive in both. So yeah, we've been very, very lucky. And my last question for you, anyone that might listen to this that's currently navigating or might navigate a pregnancy loss in the future, what's something you'd say to them? Oh, I'm so sorry. It is the worst thing. and you're not alone. You're really not alone. Like it, I think it's one in four or one in mm. um, women go through miscarriages and, mm. and it's really hard because you're grieving the loss of, of this potential and the dreams that you had for it. And, you know, I've got this, um, I've got a note on my phone that I keep adding to and it's notes to my daughter and 
because I really felt like it was a girl as well. Mm. <laughs> I just, mm. and like I had a, I had a really clear idea of what her name would be and mm. how she would fit into our family. And, and so grief, the loss of the, this potential person. Mm. So it's not, it is so hard mm. and reach out for support and don't feel like, you're not allowed to keep talking about it. That's something I've really struggled with because I felt like I had, I had to just – I've had a bit of a break off social media the last couple of weeks because I feel like I just kept talking about the miscarriage and saying, you know, everyone else has moved on mm. and they've they've forgotten, which is not a criticism of anyone. That is just, you know, it's my grief and it's it's my, my loss. Mm-hmm. And I just, I had to stop and give myself a little bit of a break because I felt like I was only talking about losing my baby. Mm. And I didn't want to just be constantly sad on social media all the time because I wasn't sure how constructive it was for my mental health. And so just be really gentle with yourself and give yourself time to grieve and in, in whatever way you need to. And, and that, you know, that baby will or that person will always be part of you. Mm. I, I think about it a lot because that baby has always been part of me because, you know, we're born with all of our eggs. Mm. So it's not over. It's always, mm. it's always there. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I think, a lot of people will resonate with the hard things you've been through, which I'm sure can feel unbelievably lonely at times. For anyone that wants to find your beautiful shop, where do they go? Uh, they can find us uh, in Thornbury. Uh, um, we have a very beautiful online store now, which I'm constantly working on. Um, but that's what is it? www.thinkthornbury.com. And we also have an Instagram um, and my Instagram too, which is less um, shop stuff, more family stuff, lots of cooking, mm -hmm. um, and pictures of my adorable child, uh, which is Maggie May Moshe. But yeah, just don't hesitate to reach out and and talk to me. I am a real person, and the shop is like, it's it's honestly, I think it's a really special place. And I know that I'm saying that as as the person who built it, but we. We have such a big focus on helping people find a really meaningful gift. It's not about selling you the latest cool thing, even though we do have the latest cool thing. <laughs> um, but we, you know, people will walk into the store and I can help them find a present really quickly. And mm. often the key to finding a good present, I find, is just finding the right way to say, I love you and I know you. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being so open. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's nice to have the opportunity to talk about these things. And, and for anyone that wants to start a business, I know that I said it was a stupid thing to do, but it's also <laughs> been the most rewarding, wonderful adventure of my life. And you should do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. Do the really, the thing that everyone says that you shouldn't do, just give it a go because everyone told Joshua and I not to do this and I am so glad that we ignored them. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.